Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hello, everybody. It's Liam. Before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know, you'll hear this in the episode, but this was our first attempt at recording bi-coastally over the internet. George is in New York. I have moved to LA in the new year, and there's a little bit of echo because of the way the episode was recorded. We're going to try to fix that going forward. Apologies in advance. Um, We hope it isn't too annoying. Uh, It shouldn't be. Um, we, uh, this week's episode is on Batman forever and we are going to continue with Batman and Robin next before jumping back to Batman 1966. If you have any thoughts on our feelings on Batman, on Batman returns on anything that we've talked about so far, please send us an email with your thoughts. Please send us a a voice memo over email, whatever you want to do. We'd love to feature what you have to say about the show. And if you have time, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple iTunes. That will help us get more listeners. Thanks. We hope you enjoy this episode. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm, you know, it's funny that how often you sound so uncertain about who you are. Well, it's, that's, that's 29, 2020, baby. Because I'm certainly George Fragopoulos, and this is and certainly, this oeuvre, Busters, Bicoastal, Uber. The Bicoastal Edition, you became my power, my pleasure, my pain. Hi, George. What's going on, Liam? How so, are you? Good. So this is this is bi-coastal in the sense that this is the first episode we've ever recorded uh, where we're in separate uh, states. Yeah, Not states rec- of mine, but let's states see how the recording of, goes. of physical states. We're still East Coast. We're still East Coast. We're still elites, though, because we're only on the coasts. We're only on these coasts. Yeah, um, we- we don't and the reason i sang oh this is America. awkward wow we got to get used to this How, is your recorder working is your it recorder is. working george yeah it's looking good everything's good yeah. all right um the reason i was singing um kiss from a rose by the artist known as seal is because this week we are talking about batman forever batman forever I it's the artist formerly uh, batman known forever. As the seal. third batman in the uh mid the late 80s early 90s mid 90s batman franchise by the way this film felt like it was just would go on forever um okay just can you can we get through the summary before you start offering opinions right left and center jesus so what happens in this let's let's talk about who is involved with this movie uh this is a tim burton production which i think is interesting that that's the first credit but it's a tim burton production of a joel schumacher film correct and i think we should talk a little bit about that uh who's in this movie val kilmer as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Batman. Yeah. Nicole Kidman um, as Dr. Chase Meridian. Nicole Kidman giving 13-year-old Liam feels 15-year-old as George Chase Meridian. Also had feelings. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Val Kilmer. Oh, we said Val Kilmer. Tommy Lee Jones as Harvey Dent slash Two-Face. And Jim, Jim Carrey. Carrey as Edward Nigma slash The Riddler. So fucking insufferable. Oh Chris my O'Donnell. God. Can you just get through the... Chris O'Donnell as angry. Dick Grayson and Robin. I'm just angry. Michael Goh, uh, the best part of the movie, as Alfred Pennyworth. Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon. And who could forget Drew Barrymore as Sugar? 
and Debbie Mazar as Spice. Spice, yeah. I totally forgot they were in this too until I saw your notes about the film because you saw it a couple of hours or maybe a day or so before I did and I saw I was like, oh yeah, that's right, Drew Barrymore's in this film. Obviously for like 30 uh, seconds, but she's in it. Um, two two small no- small casting things that I wanted to talk about real quick. Renee Aberjohns as Dr. Burton at the very oh. end of the film. Very great actor who just passed away a few weeks ago. And Ed Begley Jr. as Edward Nigma's boss. That's right, yeah. These are great cast decisions. George, get on that mic. Come on, George, get on that mic. I'm George, trying. what happens in this movie? So this film, did we say 1995? I think we did say 1995, right? 1995. So in this film, um, Batman faces two villains, as you already said, Two-Face and the Riddler. But it's really more about kind of the Riddler's origin story. Um, that's true and so when the film begins kind of two-face is already an established villain the first kind of set piece is actually batman fighting two-face and his goons and the film is really fundamentally about the origins of the riddler and also the origins of robin and about bruce wayne slash batman's relationship with the aforementioned dr chase meridian and basically just kind of they're really somewhat interesting psychosexual dynamic between them because she is a like a psychologist mm-hmm. who works with or the police on these kind of really like obviously like the as they call them like the wackos of gotham city yes and she kind of i guess i don't know it's weird anyway so the film is very much also about like their relationship yes it is and it it, it, it uh we can talk a little bit about that um in terms of like how it differs from the first two films because this is the first film obviously in this franchise not directed by Tim Burton and starring Val Kilmer. So it's worth um it's worth talking about the fact that this movie was made by Joel Schumacher and who replaced Tim Burton because and this is from Wikipedia um this film is more family friendly since Warner Brothers believe that Batman Returns failed to outgross its predecessor due to par- parent complaints about the film's violence and dark overtones. So uh the Batman Returns made like something like 150 million dollars less Which is than crazy. the original Batman and the studio freaked out and decided to push Tim Burton out and uh, replace him with Joel Schumacher, who Joel Schumacher is a pretty, int- I actually think is a pretty interesting filmmaker. He's something of like a Hollywood craftsman um, and he makes all different types of movies, um, all of which are kind of interesting um, and some of which are good, some of which are bad, but a few of the highlights, he made Flatliners, oh. he made Phone Booth, he made eight with. millimeter, which I think is not a great movie, but is also a little underrated. Eight he made millimeter. a time to kill the client falling down, which is an incredibly reactionary movie. Um, so, flatliners. So, so um, sorry, uh, time to kill was before this. A time to kill was 1996. Oh, so he also right made after. flawless starring Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. Which you talked about. with yep, Annie. He is a, he is a gay, um, gay filmmaker. That's worth noting too. Um, so we you know, just, which, out of curiosity, did he, because he seems like also like a little bit of a weird choice only because it doesn't seem as if he has any experiences directing blockbusters. Yeah, this was definitely his first blockbuster, but I think also the studio was um, pretty into the fact that uh, he kind of knew, he'd made like, you know, films like The Client and he'd made, uh, actually Batman and The Time to Kill was after this movie. So he'd done The you Client, that, yeah. which if you remember The Client... Um, I believe starred Tommy Lee Jones and Susan Sarandon. Yep, and it was a big, big hit. So they probably figured... And he had a pre-existing relationship with Tommy Lee Jones, which was helpful because Tommy Lee Jones did not want to do this movie. Isn't this... Wait, um, wait that makes sense, though, because I think this Batman movie is also based on a Grisham novel. <laughs> the, the, the Two-Faced <laughs> DA by John Grisham. I think it was published in it's the late 80s. Batman, Batman Attorney. He's <laughs> a, an attorney. George, what did you think of this movie? I fucking hated it. And I knew I was going to hate it going in. You did or you didn't? No, I knew going in that I was going to dislike okay. it. I will say this. There were definitely moments that I enjoyed, especially also the first set piece. I really enjoyed that opening kind of action sequence. Mm-hmm. But I forgot how insufferable Jim Carrey is. And I have to say that even mm. though 15-year-old George was a complete yes. moron, and I think to some degree almost 40-year-old George is also a complete moron, but even when I was 15 years old, I remember walking out of this movie and being like, this movie kind of sucked. And also because of the bad taste that this movie left in my mouth, I never saw number four. I never saw Batman and Robin. I've never seen Batman and Robin before. Um, I 
I actually kind of enjoyed this film. You I said think that on I the social media. Spot for it. Um, I think I remember seeing it in the theater when I was like, you know, probably. 1995 I would have been 12 or 13 I remember being very very excited about it Batman was my jam um but I I I sort of I've seen it a bunch of times like I've definitely seen this movie upwards of 10 times probably because I really liked it when I was a kid and I remember liking it when I seeing it um it's way more campy than uh the Tim Burton Batmans I would say um and yeah Jim Carrey uh as Edward Nygma is a is a whole is a whole mood, as the kids say. It's a whole mood. He's just so. This is clearly, and obviously, this is like at the the height of Jim Carrey. You know, Jim Carrey fever. Fever, yeah. Thank you. So it is very much like his film. Yep, he done Ace Ventura a year before. Um, he was, it only was a year before. He was yeah. He was the biggest movie star in the world. I feel like at that point, right? Yeah, he did Dumb and Dumber. He did Ace Ventura: The Mask and the Dumb Mask. and Dumber in the same year, which is absolutely kind of astonishing. He was like the twenty million dollar man, yeah. But he, I forgot how just insufferable he is in this, and I think also a lot of it has to do with like the script. He's not probably given any sort of like lines to deliver that are in any sort of way funny. Well, this was written for Robin Williams. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. And the writers mm-hmm. said that uh, Jim Carrey was much straighter than they envisioned the role being, which kind of blows uh-huh. my mind because you don't get str- get less straight in many ways in this perform in this film well, than that- you get with uh, with Jim Carrey. It's, it's insane. It's funny though too because that that last his last like get up too in that tower is like so ostentatious. Uh, yeah, I, like, it's that- absolutely insane. I have some thoughts on that in general. Um, but I one thing that I. I enjoyed about this movie, I have to say, is um, sort of a larger theory I have about these Batman films. Um, And a little bit of why I think I enjoyed it is because of the fact that it made me think a a lot about uh, a movie that we saw together and both disliked very, very seriously, which was Rise of Skywalker. It made me think about Rise of Skywalker a lot because one thing that I super, one of my favorite things about this film is that because is the fact that it, it already two face is already established as a villain. And my theory is that actually they planned on doing an origin story with him in this movie, or they had the footage because there's the scene where Bruce Wayne watches the news report and they, they show uh, a very quick version of two faces origin story. And, um, the footage, the way it's shot is not newsy at all. It looks like they really conceived of and planned to show his origin story oh. because it's, it's, it's just so specifically oh. shot. And, but what I like about them not doing that is we're able to sort of just jump. I like how this film just jumps into the jumps right into the totally. meat of it. And we don't have to spend time watching like a, a villain become I totally a agree. villain, become a villain. We do that with Riddler, obviously. And I think that works because one thing this movie does that the last one doesn't do is there Batman has multiple encounters with two face. And while watching them, you know, Batman's not going to die. Two face is not going to die. Like there's no risk involved. Do you know what I mean? And it's light and kind of fun. Whereas the risk in with rise of Skywalker, absolutely nothing is at stake. Absolutely nothing happens in that movie, but I'm still meant to take it so seriously. And I appreciate how not seriously I'm supposed to take this movie. And that makes it really entertaining to me. Okay. So that in the sense like there's, you know that there's nothing on the line. There are no stakes. Yeah. I mean, there's, and it's just kind of fun and sensorial and like, you know, it, it leads into the fact that like, this is just much more of a Schumacher wanted to make like a fun movie. Like it's a lot less, the, the, the design has gone from like very Burton-esque or like I would say gothy to like more of an art deco. Some of the imagery in the movie is like feels very Ayn Randian. Like there's just these shots that like make me think of the cover of, of all of Atlas the Shrugged. books of hers and the stuff that I've read. This is also the first movie where we ever see Wayne Enterprises. It's really flashy and it's because they wanted to sell merchandise. Yeah. And they had to screen the movie totally. for Walmart execs because they were so scared by Batman Returns that they wanted to see something that they could buy merchandise from. Yeah. No, I get it. I mean, there's a certain kind of... Um, how to put it? There's a certain kind of quality to it, or I should say kind of competence to it that comes across in terms of it being, again, like a finely crafted commodity. Right. It yeah. is a finely crafted commodity. 
but I also think there are so many things about it that are just painful, yeah. like like its attempts at humor. And there were one or two moments actually where I laughed, but I think actually I got more laughs watching Tommy Lee Jones do his thing than I did Jim Carrey. I don't think Jim I Carrey kind of love Tommy Lee Jones in this movie. It's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. And that f- the face paint, I forgot how bad like the makeup is. It's so, so bad. It looks... Oh, it, it kind of works for... I don't know. It's uh, ridiculous. I mean, it, it, I, it leans into the campiness of it, but it looks really terrible. It's, it isn't great. It is definitely not great. But yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think it's a good movie, but um, I also think that like we're about to watch after we get through Batman and Robin... And Batman 1966, we're about to get into this Nolan era of Batman and then the Schneider era of Batman. And like, while I like those movies, I ultimately think that in some way they did damage to the superhero franchise because now we have to take this shit really seriously. And I I watched true, though. Say that again. Well, I don't know if that's entirely true because those Marvel movies, I think, not all of them, but I think what's really interesting about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if there is something interesting about it, is how good those films are at kind of getting a feel for the certain kind of specific genres and making very different movies so it's not yeah, like that's all- true well that's that's a whole different thing i think that um not all those marvel what I'm movies talking about more specifically dark. is dc because uh as of yesterday morning the film joker which i watched over the weekend uh and we'll watch again for this podcast has 11 Academy Award nominations. That explains also why you become so radicalized on Twitter now. I was like, wow, I'm what very... happened to Liam? He's... I will say this. I will say this. Um, and we'll talk about it later. It is a perfectly fine movie. It's perfectly fine. And it, and many of the things that it's up for awards for, I s- sort of make sense to me. Maybe one or two of the things that it's up for awards for. But, uh, you know, it was nice to see a Batman movie that's 20 years old where we were able to kind of watch it. I like the serialized nature of it. It very clearly draws from the um, um, the 1966 show. And I wouldn't have hated if we could have toned this down a little bit and had like 10 of these. I think it would have been fun and fine. Ten Wait, 10 of these kind of films? Yeah, I mean, I would be fine watching a not necessarily a Joel Schumacher version, but a lighter version of Batman for many more years. Not this exactly, but like there's things about this that work. And I think it just goes too far. So, but see, watching this too reminded me of how much of success the first two are, especially let's say, well, especially the second one too, because I think those films, even though the second one is obviously very grotesque and it leans into that, it is also funny. There are campy elements. It doesn't take itself as seriously as I remember them taking themselves as you know seriously as I thought they did. Those That's films true. are like so self-aware. In a the, way, that, the the Burton ones, yeah, and they, they are funny. And don't get me wrong, they're dark, but they also are in so many ways ridiculous. Yeah, that's true. And self-consciously so. And better acted. Yeah, so which is why, like, this version, again, I was like, oh, my God, like, this film, it's just doing one thing. It's just doing one part of the of the Batman thing, and that's the campy stuff. And that, to it me, is was very campy. like, oh, like, this is terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think Burton has a better sense of, like, tone, and uh, there's more nuance and vary to it. But, like, you know, I don't know. This is a, this Is this a bad movie? Yeah, probably, but I didn't have a terrible time watching it. I also think probably when 13-year-old me didn't recognize the campiness quite as clearly as the 30, uh, 37-year-old me. Also, this movie is horny as fuck. Yes. This movie is so horny, oh my God, which I appreciate. Starts Everyone off. in the first 20 minutes wants to fuck Batman this or Bruce Batman Wayne. This Batman fucks without question. So this Batman fucks? This Batman fucks. Let's talk about this Batman. Let's talk about this Bruce Wayne. I like Val uh, Kilmer. We have a new Batman. We have Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer is Batman. Um, Which is why had, would, he always breaks out into door songs randomly. <laughs> Break on through to the other side and capture Two-Face. Yeah? It's good, right? It's I've been around the road about an hour ago. Um, what do you think of Val Kilmer in this movie? I liked him, actually. He's pretty um, pretty subtle. He's pretty low-key in this movie, I would say, I think the because Batman, apparently he hated doing it. The Batmans get worse, I think. I think, obviously, Keaton, and then Kilmer, and then definitely Clooney. Yeah. Well, what I appreciate about Val Kilmer, particularly in the in the scene with Edward Nigma at the beginning, when uh, when he wants to, when Edward Nigma wants to show him his, like, microwave brain TV invention, is that he's a warmer person than Michael Keaton. Like, he's nicer. He's more conventionally good-looking. Um... Yeah, but yeah. he's also not as interesting. He's also probably the best-looking Batman 
until at this point. Like he's more conventionally handsome than uh, than Michael Keaton, and as handsome as George Clooney is. George Clooney. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but George Clooney is not Bruce Wayne. He's almost like a commentary on Bruce Wayne. Why do you say that? He's just. I'm able to look at Michael Keaton and be like, sure, that guy could be Bruce Wayne. I can look at Val Kilmer and be like, that guy could be Bruce Wayne. George Clooney is George Clooney, especially then when he's like movie star TV famous. And I think it's, is it before Three Kings? So it's before he tries to become like a really legitimate actor or is it after? After The Peacemaker, right? Which is a movie I like. I like The Peacemaker. You said you saw that recently too, right? Say that again? You saw that recently? Yeah, I rewatched it recently. Um, Apparently Kilmer hated doing this movie um and it kind of shows in some ways apparently he was a real pain in the butt there's two things i want to talk about with bruce wayne please and i'd like to get your thoughts the first is towards the beginning of after the first sort of um confrontation there's a scene where the camera sort of like pans over to wayne enterprises which i don't think we've seen in one of these movies and before that's cgi but then he talks about how he wants to do profit sharing with the electronics department at wayne enterprises did Correct. you hear that yeah, yeah 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 i did yeah that and after stickley edward nigma's boss mysteriously commits suicide he wants full benefits to the family even though he's told by his assistant that that's not covered by insurance and he's like, make it so. So Don't what you, are we supposed to take from this Bruce? What is your read Liam, of Bruce Wayne? billionaires are just uh, like people like you and me. Uh, all and, of us. And yeah, they're, just and they're million. Ju- he's just a, he's a billionaire. And he's deep billionaire. down, they're just nice people who worked harder than we did. That's all it is. Okay, so that... <laughs> no, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that they portray him as a billionaire with like a heart of gold, yeah, which they the don't first... really do with... Kilmer. I mean, with Keaton. Keaton's a little there more are moments. remote and distant. But there are moments. Like, for example, in the very first film, and I, I realize this isn't the same thing. It's not the same thing as dealing with a family uh, that has just lost their father and yes. a husband. But in the first one, for example, remember how he, like Knox is like, oh, yeah, I could really use a grant. And then he's like, oh, yeah, give Knox a grant. Oh, but that's a joke. No, I, I did not take that as a joke. It's absolutely a joke. I didn't think that of was a joke. Of course it's a joke. What are you, crazy? No, it's, it's, it's a legit. joke. He's not going to give Knox a grant. What why are you would talking it, about? Why would it it's hurt him to give him like $50,000? I don't think that's what... I, 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 I literally have always read that as a joke. Oh, I, I read that seriously. And maybe I'm just an um, There's a couple lines that are interesting in this. Uh, at one point... Uh, I, I actually think the most clever thing about the movie is how Chase Meridian, played by Nicole Kidman, <laughs> when I was uh, 13, saying that she's into Batman, but dating Bruce Wayne is actually... And he says something like, I can't be jealous of Batman. I think it's one of the more interesting things that this movie does. Totally, yeah. No, no, I agree. I think I think that dynamic and their relationship and what the implications of it are, yeah, totally. I think those are the most interesting moments in this film. Yeah, I totally agree. He has a line where he says, I can't be jealous of Batman. And then he says something like, we're all two people, one light, one shadow, which sort of reinforces like the the two-faced stuff and the different, like they were trying. This movie might be very obvious, but they were trying to say something about trauma. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the Robin stuff is really also what you also said in your notes and it becomes obviously evident and the thing becomes really, really heavy-handed later on. But yeah, the idea that let's say also they have similar origin stories, right? They both like lose their parents, um, and these like random acts of you know criminal violence and these kind of moments, these traumatic moments obviously spur them on to become these people that wear masks and go out and beat the shit out of other people. I think yeah. that's also interesting too, that it clearly does that mirroring. But I think also again, what could be like subtly done and well done is done in a very heavy handed, like ham fisted sort of way. Agreed. At some point, sorry. At some point, like Bruce Wayne doesn't like Bruce Wayne turn to Alfred or something and say like explicitly like he reminds me so much of myself or something along those lines or like we've experienced the same thing. Get it? Get it? One thing. One thing I did. I did appreciate is that I there. There's a moment in the film where we we see the um, we see the a flashback to Bruce's parents' murder, and it's very clear. You know, this is a sequel to Batman Returns and Batman, so it's clear that it's the same it's this, it's it's filmed in a similar way albeit it's lit and done differently but you do get the feeling that this is the same sort of story that we've seen before but one thing that i appreciated about it was that um was that you only see that quickly and then in a weird way it kind of becomes about post trauma like 
the the origin stuff that's explored here is post trauma, not not like the event of his parents being murdered. It's what happens to him after, which is like finding the bat cave. And I really appreciated that he actually says out loud, the cave must have been there for centuries. And you're like, yeah, dude, probably longer than centuries. Caves are wicked old. <laughs> it takes Caves a are while. millennia old, bro. I then read a That's book. That's what a cave is. Geological It's water running and creating. It's, it's just, I thought it was hilarious. But yeah, I appreciate this post-trauma and I appreciate that He's there's a, a psychologist Liam. there. He's not a geologist. Be, to be a sounding board for Bruce Wayne. I did like that scene, though, because I don't think you see that, that scene of discovery where he falls into the cave in the first two. You don't. You see it in Batman Begins. Right, yeah. And I love that. That's a very interesting moment. I think it's the first time we see it on screen, and it is kind of powerful. And it's also very Freudian, too, about like obviously this kind of descent into the subterranean realm and this kind of discovery or this kind of uh, moment of like seeing like the trauma take the image of the bat. I just wanted to also know what the fuck was in that journal. So that was a subplot that got cut where apparently the last line in Thomas Wayne's diary was Bruce wants to go to the movies tonight. And the idea was that he was going to feel blame for his parents' murder. Oh, shit. What were they going to go see? Did he say? Uh, they saw the gay blade. Everyone knows that. <laughs> gay blade well, of Zorro. That's right. Yeah. Get that's caught rough... up on your Batman. I'm dumb, not at dumb. all. Um, speaking of uh, Freudian, let's talk about let's talk about how everyone wants to fuck in this movie, and let's talk about how uh, let's talk about Nicole Kidman's character specifically. Yeah, I mean, what's there to say? She's horny for the bat. She's horny for the bat. Um, you know what it reminded movie... me of? Actually, it reminded me of that scene in I don't know if it's in the film, but in Watchmen in the graphic novel, where mm. Night Owl and oh, uh, I forgot what the other woman's is it like Mrs. Silk, Jupiter? Silk Spectre? Silk Spectre, yes, sorry. Yeah, where they fuck and she says something to him like the masks made it better. So this idea that kind of like uh, which also you get in the second one too, actually. Now that I'm I'm getting deja vu from we talked about Batman Returns, but this idea obviously of like the masks make it better because they are in some sort of way like a symbol of of fantasy. They're a symbol of the things that must remain like enigmatic in a relationship to kind of keep it going and to keep it kind of like sexually charged. That is interesting. Um, I, I, I appreciate that they, that they play with that. I appreciate that. Like, but it, the problem is ultimately that at the end of the day, oh, this movie kind of just telegraphs his themes as opposed to totally. exploring them in interesting ways. I mean, the, they set up this dichotomy where, or this not dichotomy, but they set up this thing where Robin is experiencing what Batman previously experienced, which I think is interesting. Like I think could really be interesting, but it ultimately is like, I mean, this movie was for kids and teenagers. They were, they were, they were aiming down. So maybe that's, maybe that's why it worked for a 13 year old me who like, didn't, you know, who kind of just thought Nicole Kidman was very attractive and, and, uh, and wanted to see like the fight stuff. But um, it is, that is kind of an interesting element of it. I don't know that I'm super thrilled with the ending of this movie because when you think about the uh, Nicole Kidman's character is kind of a, uh, an, uh, an uh, Nicole Kidman's character is almost has almost exactly the same ending that Vicky Vale's character has Correct. in Batman, where she gets in the car and she's like, "Don't stay out too late." Yeah. And it's like it's almost the Batman's same arc in this movie is the same as it is in the other movies. At one point, he quits being Batman, but at the end of the film, he says to Nigma, which I think is interesting that Nigma hates uh, Edward Nigma, the Riddler hates Bruce Wayne as opposed to hating Batman. Well, he's also because obsessed with him. He wants to fuck him too. He do- oh, he totally wants to fuck him. He wants to fuck him so bad. Yeah. Um, but right. at the end, he chooses to be both Batman and Bruce Wayne. And I, I feel like he's already done that in these movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, all of these movies, and I don't know if it happens in the fourth one too, but it's so fucking annoying to me as a fan of like comic books where, yeah. I never already said this, where like the revelation of the identity is done so blasé. Even to the point Harvey, where, I'm Batman. Yeah, I remember he stands up. Yeah, he stands up in the middle of the circus, and he's like, oh, he's like, he's like, oh, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm here. I'm here, Harvey. I'm Batman. <laughs> he's like, everybody's yeah. like around him, and obviously nobody hears I mean, him because of the commotion. But still, it's so fucking ridiculous. But again, I think that part of it is that these are movies, not comic books. And like, I don't know how many comic books you've read lately, but with the exception, one of the reasons I I don't I don't read comic books a ton is that at a certain point. Um, they teach the same lessons over and over again and they say the same things over and over again because they have to sell it comic books. And Correct. this movie, they have to take bigger risks because they have a smaller amount of time. They have 90 minutes, whereas a comic book has 
you know, or two hours, or in, ba- in like fucking Christopher Nolan's case, four hours. Two hours for this um, one. Like, why the fuck is this film two hours long? I, it's fine. I think it moves. I, I've never felt that's that that slowed down Not by me. it. I'm sorry. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about Batman. Very, uh, they do things with Bruce Wayne in this movie, but I don't think they do that much with Batman. Batman's this is kind of the most generic Batman, except for maybe the Batman Begins Batman. Like, you know, there's a couple really ridiculous lines. I think one of the legitimate laugh out loud moments in the movie is after Meridi- Chase Meridian, Nicole Kidman, tries to uh, seduce him on the roof of the of the of police headquarters. He gets in the car and he goes like, "Women." I thought that was actually really funny. <laughs> So um, and the I'll get takeout line, but th- there's I no. I hated that line. There's I barely hated the line. what I hated that line. And it's I also so hate stupid, the fa- right? You get like a really stupid joke right before you even get like a punch thrown, and I'm like, okay, I'll yes, take, this is I'll, what this I'll movie is going to be about. Yeah, uh, it's it's ridiculous, but it's also just a very not interesting Batman. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I'm going back. Also, maybe, let's also go back a little bit. I mean, maybe we'll maybe we should just make, maybe talk a little bit more about him, but. It's also when I was watching it, I was thinking about like also the character of the Riddler and kind of yes. the, the the idea of like the enigmatic self or the kind of the, the the sense of like, oh, like what is this character? What is the villain of the Riddler represent? And I was like, there's an interesting also, I think, commentary, potential commentary that obviously they missed because fucking Jim Carrey has to Jim Carrey all over the place that there's something interesting about like the Riddler as like a, as a symbol of like this kind of like self-questioning okay like the riddle like the fundamental riddle riddle that we all have to deal with is like the riddle of the self and i think that's also something that this film could have potentially leaned into in a more obvious way and kind of making the connections between the riddler and batman and bruce wayne more obvious but they don't go there yeah no they they don't really go there at all and i think you're right i think part of it is that it gets in the it would get in the way of uh Jim Carrey just Jim carrying it up because kids wanted kid the kids wanted more Jim Carrey. The kids did want that. Um, and I think that that's sort of specific. Um, yeah, I, I, I one thing that I actually thought about thematically at the end of the movie, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but is Edward Nigma Mark Zuckerberg? Oh no, Bruce Wayne's Mark Zuckerberg. No, I don't think Bruce Wayne is Mark Zuckerberg. I think. Edward Nigma is Mark Zuckerberg. And I think what's interesting about this movie, because he's a guy that um, it almost like the movie without knowing it's doing that, of course, is, 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 is sort of predicting or prophesizing about a media landscape that takes information that shows you exactly what you want and takes information from your That's brain. Really he, interesting. Yeah. And then he gets into a battle with an industrialist whose entire company buys other companies and kind of like strips them for their worth so yeah that's really interesting i'm glad you said that too because that's way uh more powerful than my reading of this as just kind of like a really cheap critique of tv and of tv kind of culture because yeah, that well, i is think it is that i think on a boring clear. level it is that but what the movie might have stumbled into is the idea of edward nigma as like a as like sort of a, a media social media social, yeah, innovator. Yeah, totally no you're totally right um and that red is really uh, it, again. This is the thing about this movie is that it is pretty empty, and um, it kind of it kind of also uh, prophesizes about Joker, which is a fairly empty movie that wears most of its themes on its on its surface as a as a, as a way of being deep. This movie makes no attempt to be de- deep, but if you're watching the movie and looking for things to talk about on your podcast, this is the kind of stuff you have to look for in this movie. No, yeah, it's there. I mean, it's totally there. When did MySpace become a thing? Was that there was way? Oh after no, way out, dude. There was barely. I mean, there was probably right? chat group. I mean, ninety five. I feel like AOL was a thing. You know what I mean? The internet was a much more like it's, the mainstream internet was yeah. a much more cultivated cultivated space than it would have been now. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. I'm just kind of it's. Yeah, I guess MySpace would have been like, geez, like early aughts. Yeah, no, no, there was nowhere because MySpace was barely around when I was in college until like the end of. I don't think I got on MySpace till like 2006, so this is a decade. Not, before. I mean, I, there were people on MySpace before me, but I think it's just like I was. I avoided it for a long time, and I still feel like I was on the front end of it. Um, anything we want to say about Robin? Not, I don't have anything to say about Robin He's except Chris uh I feel like sort of 
an, an, an enjoyable young actor who doesn't know what the hell he's doing in this movie. Friend of the pod and uh, two-time uh, guest host Kel has feelings for young Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> They're totally right. He's he's a snack. I mean, everybody in this film is pretty much a snack, except for obviously for the villains. But no, yeah, I mean, he's like twenty five years. I looked it up. He's like twenty five years old at the time. I think I think he, I think the character's supposed to be like in his late teens, early twenties, right? Yeah, he's supposed to be a teenager. Yeah, so I think which he's not, by he, the way, not at all. But I do like also that they kind of get around his. That he has like these fighting chops. I totally forgot like, oh no, he's also like an acrobat. So they kind of get around that like really kind of quickly and easily. But I'm not like a total fan of the character. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't really work. I also think that his big scene when he steals the Batmobile oh, and so goes out into the street is pretty racist. It's so bad. You mean with like the people that he fights in the street? The Day of the Dead imagery and the like... He does like a Mex like an accent that's supposed to sound like a Mexican guy or something like that when he's in the Batmobile. Like, I mean, from a production design standpoint, it's really interesting. But like, I don't know that you could accuse Tim Burton of doing anything like that in the other movies. I feel, I mean, I feel like they're just like, it doesn't have this like downtown, the city's dirty. Like, the villains in the Burton movies are all kind of like grotesque weird monster shitty white people gangsters like kind of thing whereas like these villains it seems like he goes into the wrong part of town and they're all like ethnic and they attack a white woman well thank you also for reminding me of that too it was like we're watching this film like is this film fucking like mimicking like a sexual like assault like a rape i'm like are we fucking doing this in this children's film because that is exactly what that scene's like and like like this is not the right film for this no it doesn't it feels really inappropriate. It doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't like, that's another thing that I feel like is wrong with this movie is like, I love how Batman, the the first scene in Batman opens up with him taking down these like two petty criminals that like steal from these tourists and like, but you weirdly get to know those two guys. And I really like that about the first Batman film. Like one of them's kind of scared to be on the rooftop and the other's like, there ain't no bat. And then they get the crap kicked out of them. Like, they're actual characters, whereas I feel like in this, it's just like let's make them scary and threaten this person. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, I don't really care about the fact that like these random um, like villains aren't characters, but I think you're I, well. I, great, good, good dialogue, bud. You're really go, keeping the conversation going. I'll go back. No, no, no. But I, I did. I totally missed the accent that he puts on. So I want to go back and see that, and I also want to go back and look at the actors that because yeah it does have this kind of day of the dead thing but it's also like this garish like neon yes and i think it's funny because watching it and not maybe not paying as close attention to it as i should have i was like oh this is at least kind of like visually interesting because it's dark and you could kind of see like the backgrounds like glowing and it was kind of an interesting visual but i did not i'm not saying it's not there i think you're probably totally right but that the racial kind of dynamics of it I mean, I think, I was, again, like I said, I was really kind of like t- thrown off by the sexual assault. Yeah. And not. Oh, think- well, yeah, that's also weird, too. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. And, but and maybe so I wasn't also like paying close attention to how these villains are coded as being like um, racialized people. One thing that I appreciated about this movie that I we haven't talked about that much is the meta quality to the Riddler. Like, there's a couple things that I really liked. I like seeing Riddler creating his costume on, like, a computer screen and being like, the jokester, the quizzler. That scene actually was kind of funny, yeah. I thought that was funny. There's also a point, they use the word superhero in this movie. Nicole Kidman says it once. Uh, Edward Nigma says it once. Um, I think that that's interesting. And then at one point, uh, Two-Face interrupts Edward Nigma's. um uh, presentation of his like media de- his like brain catcher device and he makes a comment where he's like we could have planned this done it right sold the movie rights he says sold the oh, movie rights I miss that too and I think that that's that feels very contemporary it feels like right now you know this movie's almost 30 years old but it feels like that's something that you would see in one of these movies now yeah. it feels like a Marvel Marvel cinematic universe thing and I, I think it's weirdly clever I thought you were going to mention that line also about Metropolis Oh, also, yeah, the circus must be halfway to Metropolis by now. Yeah. I appreciate, I liked that they did that. Yeah, I mean, well, the, it, it obviously was like a gesture towards like world building and like a much larger DC cinematic universe. But, um, 
Yeah, which we I never would have got. We never. I don't. I mean, there were. They were. I think they were pretty soon after this in talks about Wolfgang Peterson directing a Batman v Superman movie. So maybe it was coming. Whoa! But um, are they like stuck on a submarine, like on a German submarine, and they're trying to like evade? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Death, yeah, Death Batman. Charges. We have to save the people on the submarine. Batman, bring us the bat's boat. Batboat and bat copter in this movie. Very intense. That's pretty interesting. Um. So to come back to the ending of this movie and, and something that I, I think we should Please. think a little bit about is like what who and what are these movies are about? And I feel like at the end of the film, Batman says to the Riddler, um, I'm Batman and Bruce Wayne because I choose to be both. And I think that if there's a big difference beyond style and beyond those elements to this movie, to these movies and say like the later incarnations of Batman, especially in the own films, is that. I feel like these late 80s, early 90s, Tim Burton franchise Batman films are about Bruce Wayne's soul and who Bruce Wayne is. And I think Nolan's films are about Gotham. Oh, right. Okay, that's interesting. You know, the idea that like, um, that the 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 battle in in the bat in the Nolan films is over Gotham. I mean, that's pretty obvious. One of the things that I really that that I really disliked about the Nolan films is that there's, and you can almost see it in the titles. The first film is Batman Begins. The third film is, um, the second film is Dark Knight. And the third film is Dark Knight Rises. And I remember when they announced that title and I was like, that is such a bad title. Like, why would they reference the title of a better movie in the t- when it should have been something completely different? For a while, my, my prediction is they were going to call that film Gotham. And I think it would have been such a better movie if the name had been Gotham. Well, that's a TV show, right? Have you seen that TV show? I watched the first episode and, and was like, oh, this is okay. And everyone was like, this show sucks. What are you talking about? And then I think I watched the second and third and was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty Don't bad. So maybe they couldn't the call critics. it that because, well, I mean, who knows if they were going to call it that. But uh, it, it's even in the title, The Dark Knight Rises stinks. But... To come back to this idea of the movie being about Bruce Wayne's soul, I read this. Uh, I'll send this to you, and I'll, we'll we'll put it in the notes of the show. There was this article about the oral history of making this movie because no one wanted to make this movie, and it ended up making a shit ton of money. But uh, one of the writers said, uh, "So for this time around, both Bruce Wayne and Batman will have a villain. Two Face. Batman's villain is Two Face, and Bruce Wayne's villain uh, is Riddler." Okay. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't really. Think, uh, yeah, I didn't read that entire thing. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense thematically. But again, it just it, it's not done yeah. in any sort of way. One thing that you said that was kind of interesting, and the more I think about it, obviously, the more it holds, is that these two, like the Schumacher films, even though obviously they're building and they're coming out of the Burton ones, and this film also does have a very, very brief allusion to the previous one, is that... The Cat Catwoman reference. Yeah, is that the film, they're, they're just so radically different. It is kind of like its own like mini franchise. Yeah, and you're right. I think one thing that you said that I that I hadn't thought about is that the it's not like the Tim Burton Batman films are like these brooding takes on Batman. Um they're pretty light and they're beautiful. And this movie has it's sort of it plays everything very straight despite being really ridiculous, but like I do think there's nothing nearly as interesting as um as the 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 villain dichotomy between and I actually between um Penguin and Catwoman that there's nothing that like that between Two-Face and the Riddler even though I like their relationship in this movie I think it's kind of interesting to watch something tells me Tommy Lee Jones just probably was like what the fuck am I doing he hated Jim Carrey of course of course he told him he hated Jim Carrey before they started shooting he's already a curmudgeon can you fucking imagine what it was like on the set did I did you hear this line oh my god what was the line I have to find it he apparently told um Jim Carrey, I cannot condone your your buffoonery or something like that. Like said that to him, and like Tommy Lee Jones is a great actor. I'm 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 not entirely sure he's the nicest guy in the world. Oh no, yeah, but, it doesn't seem um, like he's the nicest guy at all. Put that on my tombstone. I cannot condone your buffoonery. Yeah, cannot condone. I cannot. I we got to find it. it. Should be in the show notes. Um, okay, it's couple random things. I want to bounce off you, and I want to get your thoughts on uh, martial arts laundry. Martial art. Oh yes, martial arts laundry. I was a fan. Okay, tell me more. Uh, I just thought it was like, wow, cool, martial arts and laundry. Two of my favorite things in one place. How do you think they came to? We have to show that this guy can kick ass. Should he beat up his laundry? Do you think that that's the best approach? Yeah, to of that? course. Yeah, don't you ever beat the shit out of your laundry? I do it all the fucking time. 
All the fucking time. Uh, Michael Go uh, as Ooh. Alfred Pennyworth, I think Michael is the best Go. part of this movie. I think he has weirdly a little bit more to do in this one, even though he has a lot to do in Batman. But like, I appreciate that they let him ha- let the other guy. Okay, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was that was a that was actually a line that made me laugh too because he mentioned like three or four cars. He was like the other car, the other car. Um, I like I actually like his relationship with Dick Grayson and I wish they'd explored it a little bit more. It might be the most interesting thing because he does have a line about how like um, young men consumed with vengeance need a mentor. And I think that that's something the movie doesn't do anything with, Mm. except that we don't see Alfred become his mentor. I do like the line where he says to um, Val Kilmer, he's like, I I won't bury another Batman. Isn't that... I won't bury I won't, another I won't, bat- I won't bury another Batman. Wait, does he say that? No, of course. Is that Dark Knight Rises? No, that, that's Michael that, Caine. That's Steve Coogan doing Michael Caine uh, from yeah, uh, Dark Knight you, Rises. Oh my God! I won't bury another Batman. We can't do it. We should just phone in. We should get Steve. <laughs> and then Steve he says, "Like, Car- how many Batman? How many Batman has he buried?" Um. Definitely, this is a pre nine eleven Batman movie because I the disagree. glee of property destruction is just—it's just glee. Everyone's having a good time. It isn't heavy and ridiculous. Shit blows up, nobody cares. Yeah, we. You also mentioned it too that there is like some CGI of Gotham City, and it looks really yes. bad. And it's not great. None of it looks great. But uh, I definitely think this movie looks a lot cheaper than Batman and Batman Returns. Yeah, well, I think it doesn't... Ha- yeah, it looks... I think the flashiness and the gaudiness of it kind of gives it that feel. And I think that's obviously kind of intentional. Like, a lot of the shots here definitely look like comic book panels in a way that I think mm. the first two films do not. Or, like, certain shots do not. Like I think that's true, yeah. It's not... The way they're framed, the colors... In, sorry? Just the way they're, fr- they're framed, like, the neon colors. It's very yeah. vibrant. There in the Hollywood Reporter article. Oh, look at George is hydrating right now. I've seen George drink some coffee. I think is that. Ooh, smart. Don't buy plastic. I gotta. Know? I gotta stay hydrated. Oh, geez. Thanks, when you podcast, you gotta. You gotta hydrate. Hang on, real quick, real quick. Let me just get my Nalgene because I. For, I care about Mother Earth. Thanks for pointing out that I'm a total hypocrite. Just, hang on. Just, okay. And I'm actually. Go, George. Not helping the planet. Thanks for vamping while I drank water. God, this is all the time. This podcast since I moved to California, this podcast has fallen apart. Got- Speaking of moving to California, they shot a whole bunch of this movie down the street from where I am ter- ter- currently staying. What? Yeah, they shot it at the Warner Brothers Burbank Studios, which is like across the street from my temporary. Have you home. ever seen Batman um, just like at the coffee shop buying like a latte? What'd you say? Have you ever seen Batman just at the coffee shop buying a latte? And be like, oh, excuse me, Mister uh, Mister Man, can I uh, get your? Do you uh, feel order? like people playing Batman can't drink milk because like they have to get so fit and thin? It's like, you know, can you have milk when you're getting super fit? I guess you probably can in your coffee. Probably not. Maybe not Christian Bale. Did you ever hear mm, about? Like, well, Christian... he like probably smoked cigarettes and like drank coffee to lose. Did you ever hear weight? about Christian Bale's like diet while he was like getting in shape for American Psycho? Was it intense? Yeah, of course. It was kind of like just, just yeah, just like some psycho kind of fucking like diet plan that he was on while he was like working out and getting just fucking like totally ripped. So any more thoughts on Batman Forever? Yeah, I'm glad I am done seeing it. I'm glad I'm not going to see it again. And two weeks from now, I'm dreading kind of having to talk about the next one, Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin, that is next. So we're going to do Batman and Robin next. Then we're going to jump back in time. And do uh, Batman 1966, um, which, you know, I think fits in well with this movie and probably the next one in particular. Um, I want to say one thing real quick. Me too. Yes, it's not a good movie. But there is a scene where Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne looks at a is in the Batcave and he looks at a video of Nicole Kidman's character um, like. And he's talking about her and it's almost like she posed for this video. Like this movie is all about pleasure. And like, it's ridiculous that this footage exists of her being like, mm, like tossing her hair. And it's like, who filmed this? What that is might... going on here? Why does he have this footage? And this movie knows exactly what it is, which is like a kid, for, a movie for kids. That's all about getting, getting boned. That's probably going to go in the copy too. Batman forever. It's all about pleasure. It's all about pleasure, baby. I do want to say one more thing. Um, also, closing thoughts is that this film also, one of the reasons also it didn't work for me is because it does what a lot of superhero films do nowadays, where it it has to stuff in as much shit as humanly possible. 
So not only do you get like two villains, but you also get like two superheroes. And not only do you get I'm fine with that in this one. It's oh, it's I only two hours long. Like I it's not like a four it. hour movie. I hate it. Because again, it just feels like everything is done in such a like a quick, like superficial way. And like again, it's yes. it it's 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 just so fucking like, okay, we need to put like everything in this movie, otherwise like we always have to be like topping ourselves. So the next one has obviously fucking like three heroes. And again, like we're back to like two villains, and I just hate the constant need to like overstuff these films. Oh, that's right, because Bat, uh, uh, Bat Batgirl is in is in Batman and Robin, yeah. isn't she? She Interesting. is. Um, well, real quick before we finish, um, Janet Maslin, who uh, is was a was a film critic for New York Times, in her review of this movie, this is I think you'll appreciate the opening of this. Her review, uh, it's not a great review. Um, it's okay. But she says, Batman Forever brings on the very secular sensation that you are part of something larger than yourself. Toys, games, comics, videos. Each has its place in the cosmos of this multimedia phenomenon, and the consumer's role is no less well-defined. As for the actual movie, it's the empty calorie equivalent of a Happy Meal. So oh, clearly yeah. a product that the question of its cinematic merit, merit is strictly an afterthought. How prophetic was Janet Maslin when it came to franchise filmmaking? I think that line, I, I definitely have heard that line before about the empty calories of the Happy Meal. That I've, Yes. Yeah. But no, that's beautifully... Very accurate. That's Very beautifully prophetic. What, what's that? However... Oh, she says, wait, hold on. The secular what? The secular sensation? Secular sensation that you are part of something larger than yourself. Oh, that's so good. I would uh, also say, by the way, review. that's what religion does. But anyway... Um. Yeah. Well, this is Batman is a religion. Um. Okay. Last thing. Uh. Please. How do you know that Dick Grayson is edgy? Oh. Um. The earring. He calls Alfred Al. That's so edgy. Well, he calls and he calls Bruce Wayne Bruce. He does he all the time. Yeah. He does. Yeah, it but so... that's fine. But he calls Alfred Al. Al. He I calls Alfred Pennyworth. Does Al. he have a tattoo also? Hmm. Does he have a tattoo as well? He probably does. He probably has like a Robin tattoo. Ugh. I'm Liam Billingham. I was George Rogopoulos because this film murdered me. Um, Please rate, review, subscribe to the show, and we'll see you soon. And this was... Oeuvre. Now you should say it. Oh, kiss me, kill me, thrill me. (laughs) Ah, We didn't talk about the soundtrack. The soundtrack's so good. Do, do what? Uh, what do I hit? Pause. Stop. Stop.